Well, good morning. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the pastors here at Soul City Church. And as Kurt mentioned, I'm excited to kick off a whole new series over the course of the month of June as we look at what it means to actually have a life of prayer, to not just try and pray and then feel guilty for not praying enough, but to actually have a life of prayer, to live in the flow with God. And so before we get to the text and what we're going to dive into this morning, I'd love to share something really cool that happened uh, to our church with our church yesterday. You may not even be aware of this. Uh, a couple weeks back, Jeannie got a call. She had met someone at a conference that she'd spoken at, and uh, this person was a reporter from the New York Times and said, hey, can I ask you some questions about your church and about uh, how you guys use social media, blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, Jeannie didn't think anything of it. Person didn't really make a connection, called a couple weeks ago and, you know, asked some questions. And, you know, same thing, like, all right, that's cool. It'll end up on her blog or whatever, which is great. I'm so glad we could help. Well, she got a call. Jeannie got a call on Friday night saying, hey, just want to let you know um, that story that we wrote uh, about your church and, you know, social media and how that works in the church uh, is going to be on the front page of the New York Times tomorrow. And so this is what's really cool. Our little church in Chicago is on the front page of the New York Times yesterday uh, telling a little story. That's pretty cool. I mean, you don't get to say that that often. And it's really cool. There's a lot, a lot of other folks, you know, that are kind of interviewed and talked to, uh, but they close with the story of Jeannie and, and our church, and uh, specifically Lauren Kirkland, who uh, is, lives in Indiana, but found our church through Twitter and now is really uprooting her life and moving here to the city of Chicago to be a part of what God's doing here. And it's pretty cool. So, I'm, so this is not a humble brag. This is a husband brag. I am so <laughs> grateful for Jeannie and for her leadership and uh, her voice, and specifically also for Dina, who runs all of our social media stuff. She has an amazing, amazing, amazing job of it. So that's a pretty fun thing for our little church. Uh, what I said a second ago is, uh, is what I'm excited about this morning, that uh, I, I'm excited for us to in- experience encouragement and freedom and life when it comes to the way we pray. Because my hunch is, my sense is, that may not be the words you think of when you think of prayer, or if you to be really honest about how you pray or what prayer has looked like in your life. For you, it may have been something you grew up sort of doing. It may be something you do, you know, just before meals or at the end of the day. It may be something you only sort of pull out and do when life hits a wall and you're in an emergency spot and you don't know what else to do. But I think all of us would say, if, if we were to be honest, you know, is there more for us to grow when it comes to the area of prayer? I think we'd all say yes. And I think what we want to look at and explore this morning is how does it flow more naturally out of who we are and less of a thing we feel we have to do, but more of a way that we live and communicate with God. When Jean and I met and fell in love, I fell in love first, and then after a little convincing, she got on board with that idea. And uh, I grew up, in, and I've shared this story many times before, but I grew up in, in San Francisco, the East Bay of San Francisco, and she lived here in Chicago, and so uh, we would talk as often and as much as we could. And so this is, this is a while ago, okay? So this predates like some of your lifespans. But, um, but, but we, this is before uh, cell phones, or at least affordable cell phones that didn't weigh 45 pounds. And uh, this is before, so this means it's before texting. Uh, this is before email. Uh, this is before instant messaging. It's like this is right around the time we signed the, the Constitution, is when, <laughs> is when we fell in love. And so we had to work to talk. We had to work to connect. And so we would. We would rack up. They used to have a thing called long distance. And we would rack up uh, huge phone bills talking to each other till late, late, late at night. Now, I was a very uh, selfish individual at, at that time, uh, and still am. And so 
uh, I would call, we'd start talking around 9 o'clock at night, California time, which is 11 o'clock Chicago time. And then we'd talk for two or three hours. And so, you know, we'd talk to one or two in the morning. We didn't care. We just were so in, in, involved and engaged and falling in love and knowing each other more. And that continued throughout our marriage. Eventually, we lived in the same area code. And so we were able to actually talk to each other face to face. And now we've, this summer, we celebrate 16 years of being married. And we have yet to... Yeah, all right. Good. After 16 years of loving, knowing each other, talking to each other, we have yet to run out of things to talk about. Now, again, it's not always easy and it's always smooth. We just came out of a relationship series. We were pretty honest about that. But we have yet to run out of things to talk about. It is yet to feel like work to connect. Now, there's times where it's harder than others. There's, we have to push through some stuff, but we, we continue to sort of grow in our connection, our relationship with each other. In fact, maybe you're married or have been with someone or been friends with someone for a long time. You know, you get to that point where you can finish each other's sentences. Or you can understand what the other person's about to say before they say it, and you can answer the question before they even put words to asking it. You know, that's what happens. The more and more you spend time with someone and get to know them and are known by them, communication just begins to grow, and it gets to a point where it begins to flow. So why is it then, at times, if we were to be really honest, that's not how it feels with our relationship with God? And just about every other relationship in our world, we, we figure out ways to connect to each other. We find ways to either text each other, email each other, connect with each other, do whatever we have to do to make those connections. But when it comes to our relationship with God, so often, for many of us, it doesn't get easier. It just gets easier to forget about. It's harder to do. There's feelings of frustration, or maybe even guilt or shame, because you just feel like you're not praying enough, or you're not praying the right way, or you don't know what to do. We got together with a guy this last week, and we were connecting and talking, and just self-admitting, he's like, I don't know how to do this stuff. He didn't grow up around a place where, you know, the house or home or church where they practice stuff. Or maybe you did, and you've just been doing it so long, it's lost that sort of personal connection. How is it that all of our other relationships in our life can continue to grow and get more in the flow of communication, but when it comes to our relationship with God, it can feel stuck or, or tough. And so what we do is we try as best we can to sort of figure out how to push through. And so we try harder to talk to God. And we figure out new, you know, tricks or, or, or tips or strategies that are going to help us talk to God. We come up with acronyms to help us to remember how to talk to God. Now, Jeannie and I, we never had to have an acronym to help us figure out how to, like, Jeannie, I adore your outfit today. I confess that you're awesome. We never went through that <laughs> We didn't have to, right, because it just was in the flow. And so we try and we do the best we can to try and help us remember. Those things aren't bad things, but they serve as a replacement to a relationship that lives in the flow and where dialogue and conversation and connection just begin to happen more naturally. We find ourselves looking to, to others to see what they're doing. If I don't know how to pray, I don't know what to do, what do you do? I'm going to watch and listen to you. And so maybe you've been in a small group or you've been around other people and the way they pray just makes you feel like the most unspiritual person in the world. And they use words that you know they would never use outside of prayer time. Like, when was the last time you really beseeched anyone? Let's be honest about that. And so you go, oh, I don't know. This person clearly has words that they, they have another dictionary for prayer that I don't have. Or they can pray for a really long time, and I don't know how to, to do that. And then we find ourselves sort of kind of copying what other people do, and we find ourselves using words one of the words specifically, if you ever pay attention, it always you know, makes me you know, twitch a little bit because I do it all the time is the word just when we pray. 
Lord, I just want to come before you. I just want to ask you, God, if you would just move. We just want to move. God, we want to just ask. If I'm God, I'm going, get to the point. Like, you know, because we don't know. We get stuck. And so we say, what should we do? And maybe you grew up where, in a culture where you found, like, you know, the most important thing, the only thing you really should do is have a quiet time. And there's repeated all throughout Scripture, time alone with God is very, very important. But when it becomes mandated, your quiet time can feel like a timeout. Something you just have to do, go think about what you've done and sit in a corner and talk to God. Or maybe you grew up around a culture you thought like really spiritual people when they pray, journal and write out all their prayers. And my wife is really spiritual because since she was in high school, she has kept prayer journals all the way through her life. We have cases of prayer journals. It's powerful. Guess what? This guy has about seven prayer journals that are all about three pages long each. It just is not naturally how I talk to or connect with God. And lots of people, that may be your way, but I found great comfort in the fact that I looked through the entire New Testament and not once did I find a case of Jesus journaling. So I use that as my defense and say, it's okay. It's okay. We look to others for clues of what to do. We get frustrated. We feel guilty. We want to pray more, pray better, know how to pray, and yet we don't know how to get there. And so we find ourselves using words like, should. I should pray more. I know I should do this more. I know I shouldn't just pray for myself or for this or for that or the other. And what begins to happen over time without us even realizing it is this thing that was intended by God to be incredibly relational becomes incredibly ritual and it loses some of the life. We've taken something that is ultimately relational and, and have made it utterly religious this is how you do it, and this is how you have to do it, and do it at this time. If you really want to be close to God, you have to do it this way. And so we take the essence of a relational dynamic between God, and we just boil it down to religious practices. And sometimes those practices can really help. But if that's all they are, then we are missing what it means to be in the flow of presence and relationship with God. See, that sort of religious way of praying is the old way. In fact, if you were to look through the Old Testament and kind of thumb through the pages of there, you'd find that was the way that people connected to God. That's the old way, where it was based on a system of practices that constituted a prayer life with God. And so that's why you have very specific ordained prayers at very specific times. That's why you have priests that pray for you on your behalf. That's why you have sacrifices in the temple because that represents something that you couldn't do on your own. That's why you have a whole temple structure and a whole temple system where you can go to a place where you may not understand or really feel like you have a relationship with God, but I know if I show up at this place, God is supposed to be here and I can't even go into the place where God actually is, but I'm gonna trust that someone else is gonna go on my behalf. That's the old way. The old way of prayer is based on ritual and religion and rhythm that is devoid of relationship and life. And it made sense for a time, if not to make a point when Jesus comes. Jesus says, look, that's, that's the old way. And it served a purpose at a time. I am the new way. And all that you learn from that system of religious practices of prayers and shoulds and have tos and I got to do this and then I got to do that. In me, you find the fulfillment of all of that and then some. In this new way, it is about life and freedom and relationship. And Jesus said, I have come so that you may actually know God. The old way was knowing about God, was talking at God. 
Jesus says, no, I have come so that you may know God and have dialogue and conversation with him and live life in the flow of a relationship with him. This is very, very, very important because I believe many of us, many of us, myself included, when it comes to prayer, we come to prayer the old way. And we wonder why it doesn't work and we wonder why we keep hitting a wall. So what I want us to do is look at a passage of Scripture together that might illuminate the truth of this new way that's found in Jesus. That we're going to explore some possible potential ways for you to connect through this new way with God. So if you would grab a Bible in front of you, we say this every week. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, this is your opportunity to steal a Bible from church. We believe God's Word has that much life and truth in it. We've built this church around the teachings of God's Word. My life has been changed by this. So if you don't own a Bible, please, we really mean it. Take this Bible home with you. And if you have a pen, feel free to underline and write in, write little notes in here because someone else may come along after you and they actually may need to see the thing that you wrote or underlined in your Bible. So uh, we're going to open up to Hebrews chapter 10. It's in the sort of the back half of the New Testament. In the Blue Bibles, it's page 1113. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to look at this comparison between the old way and the new way. We're going to dive into a very deep passage of Scripture, but I believe it has for us life and and deeper meaning and, and, and freedom for us when it comes to the new way that Jesus has made for us to pray and to have a relationship with him. Now, let me just give you a little context. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it per se, but we, knew, we do know who it was written to. It was written to a bunch of Jewish converts to Christianity. They didn't even call it Christianity in those days, but these were deeply religious Jewish people who were part of the Jewish system of faith. They had heard about Jesus and had given their lives to following him, but when this letter was written to them, they were finding themselves going back to the old way. They had been given new life and had a new way in Jesus, but it didn't take long for religion to settle back in. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. There's a new way. There's a new way. It is in the flow with God and not just in a religious system. And so with that context in mind, let's read Hebrews 10, verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Okay, stop. Just right there. We have to stop and hit pause because there's a lot going on in that first sentence. What's he referencing? What's she referencing? Whoever wrote this, what are they referencing? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, what is the most holy place? If you're familiar with the old temple structure in the Old Testament, uh, this may be a refresher course for you. Maybe you're not familiar with this, so I'll just explain it. There were several layers of courts and then rooms to get into the most holy place. And the most holy place in the temple was called the Holy of Holies. Only one person was allowed to enter there one time a year. The high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, this very sacred room. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It's where these reminders of God were. In fact, it's where God promised, you can find me. I am everywhere, but you can count on me to be in this space. That's the old way. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, we get to enter into, we have confidence to enter into that most holy of place. Any God-fearing Jew would never dream about entering the Holy of Holies. Only one person, one time a year, was ever allowed to go in. The author of Hebrews says, no, we have confidence to enter into that most holy place by the blood of who? Jesus, not a lamb, not a goat, not a calf, not a dove, not any of those old ways, but by the new way of Jesus, we get to enter into God's presence. Every single one of us, please hear me, every single one of us who comes in via Jesus, by Jesus, has access to the fullness of God. Verse 20, 
a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Hit pause again. What's the reference here? The reference is a curtain that actually was in front of the Holy of Holies, a thick curtain that ran higher than you could ever, ever, ever climb up to, huge, big, thick curtain. It was one more way to keep people out and maybe in some attempt to keep God in. And what the writer of Hebrews here is saying, no, we actually get to walk into that curtain. This is the same curtain, just so you know, that when Jesus was crucified and died, was torn in two. God, by his power, just so we would get it, literally tore the fabric of that curtain in two, as if to say, I am opening access. There's a new way. And we get to go into there because the curtain is actually his body. He has made the way. Verse 21, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, the great priest is now Jesus. We don't have to go to someone else for us to get to God. It is Jesus. So because we have that great high priest, here it is, verse 22, let us what? Draw near to God. Now listen, let us draw near to God, come into his presence with a what? Sincere heart and with what? Full assurance. Now let's just, just underline those words. Those are words, underline those words. Again, even if it's not your Bible, this is going to help someone else somewhere else down the road. We can actually come in and come into the presence of God. We can enter in in this new way with a sincere heart. What that word means is an open, honest, true, authentic heart. What's really interesting is it says that we don't come in because we have a pure and perfect heart. Far from it. When we enter in, we bring all the sin, all the brokenness, all the death that lives inside every one of our hearts. We don't have to get clean before we come in. We come in to be cleaned. Does that make sense? And so he says, look, we can actually draw near to God as long as our hearts are sincere and we are even aware of who we are. We're honest with what is in our heart. We are true to all that is going on in us, and we bring that to God, right? We come in with full assurance. We can be confident because we come in with the full assurance that religion brings. Is that what it says? No, it doesn't. That was a trick, see? (laughs) The nine o'clock got it, but... All right, we come in with full assurance that faith brings, that our confidence in this new way brings. We walk in with full assurance, having our hearts, these honest and sincere and open hearts, sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Another metaphor of part of the ritual practice that was done at different various sacraments and sacrifices that were offered. The writer of Hebrews saying, look, this is what happens. We are actually made clean and made whole. We don't have to carry the guilt and shame with us having our bodies washed with pure water. And a beautiful picture that the writer of Hebrews is saying, there is an old way, and it worked for a time, but there's a new way in Jesus where we are allowed to enter in with confidence, without shame, with sincere hearts, and we get to bring all of who we are into all of who he is. God is inviting you in, friends. He's inviting you in. He longs to have a relationship with you that is in the flow, that is not about just hitting the marks, but lives with sincere hearts in the flow of a relationship with him. All of who you are, let me even say it more to the point, all of who he's created you to be. 
coming into contact with all of who he is. It, it says, it, the writer of Hebrews is making a point that we see kind of echoed all throughout Scripture. We see it even in Genesis 1.27 where it says that we are actually created in the image of God, that we are actually image bearers of God. That's what Genesis 1.27 teaches us. Every single one of us, no matter what the world has told you you look like, no matter how good you thought you looked when you walked out of the house this morning, no matter what you see on the outside, you are actually created in the image of God. You bear his likeness. And when we come together like this, we see a greater glimpse of God in our lives. And so it's as though you can see through this passage, through other passages all throughout the Bible, it's as though we are invited to sort of be aware of our unique, like how God has uniquely created us so that we can uniquely connect with him. You are, listen to this, you are uniquely created by God. Now just, just sit with that for a second. You are uniquely created by God. But it's not, that's just not the end of the statement. You're uniquely created by God to uniquely connect with him. How many of you have ever done a personality assessment? Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, any of those? Can you raise your hand if I can see like, okay, so we all have to do these for work or to apply for a job, or maybe you're just one of those people that loves doing them just because, right? And so we're very comfortable with the fact that we're wired differently. We all have different strengths and weaknesses. We all have different personality. We all sort of have different approaches and views to the world. I think that the business world, leadership world has done an amazing job of capturing that reality and applying it to work over the last 25 years. Why is it then that we would not be created uniquely by God to uniquely connect with him? Why is it that we would be such beautiful reflections of such a vast and diverse, amazing character of God, and yet when we come to the table, we all have to pray the same way, the old way? No, you are uniquely created by God to uniquely connect with Him. That's the confidence that we have when we come with a sincere heart, a sincere and true heart uniquely created by God. I am uniquely created by God to uniquely connect with him. And so what I would love for us to do is just to spend a few moments looking at what that actually looks like. And I'm not against, you know, folding your hands and closing your eyes. I'm not against praying for meals. You know, I don't believe you're going to get food poisoning if you don't. But those things are all great and they serve their place and they serve. But what we're going to look at here is stuff that I came into contact with about 15 years ago and it literally opened my eyes to how I can uniquely connect with God based out of who I uniquely am in Him. And it's not new stuff. What I'm sharing with you right now is not new. It's greatly borrowed, is a very nice way of saying it, uh, creatively borrowed from a book called Sacred Pathways by the author Gary Thomas. Great book. Highly recommend it. Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas. He uses some different words than what we're going to use today. We also, I'm greatly indebted to John Ortberg and his book, God is Closer Than You Think. He spends a chapter really sort of compiling all of Gary Thomas's work in Sacred Pathways, and then also greatly influenced by the teaching of Bill Hybels on this and Andy Stanley on this. So we are just going to borrow the best of everything they've done and boil it down over the next couple of minutes. Does that sound good? What we're going to look at is an idea called spiritual pathways. And you might be familiar with this, you might not. Spiritual pathways are the unique ways that we connect with our God who's created us uniquely in his image. Spiritual pathways aren't just sort of like all these different ways that eventually make it to God. No, there's one way to God. It's through Jesus Christ, but we all uniquely get there in creative and different ways. Some of us kind of do it the same way. Other, we all sort of do it in different, unique ways. And what I'm about to share with you certainly is not definitive or complete. It's just sort of the best summation of a lot of work of understanding how we work and how we connect to God. There's not like a verse 
for every one of these that like perfectly matches up. And, you know, this is sort of just greater sort of understanding of who we are. My hunch is you're going to connect with one or two of these. And that's a great thing. And so as I'm going through them, you might want to kind of write down, yeah, I think that's me. We're going to give you an opportunity to dial that in a little bit more later. Uh, That doesn't mean, though, that for the rest of them that you're like free from having to ever do them. It just means there's one or two of these that come so naturally to you based on how God has wired you and created you. And then there's others that will take a little more work and will take you being more disciplined. Also, I want to share with you a concept that Jeannie put out last week. Uh, When you come into contact with someone who has a different spiritual pathway than you, it's easy to compare yourself to them. And it's easy with some of these to go, mine feels so unspiritual, and that one seems so clearly spiritual. Therefore, they are more important to God than I am. I'd encourage you to steer clear of that path. That does not lead to life. As you think about people maybe with you, maybe a spouse that's with you, like this might be a, oh, I get it now. I always thought like you, you weren't a Christian because you didn't read the Bible as much as me. Maybe you are, you just do it differently. Or, oh, I get it now. This is why my small group, we kind of all come at this from different angles, is because they're all, we're all wired differently to connect with God and to celebrate the diversity of the body of Christ as opposed to comparing and competing with each other over who has the more spiritual pathway. Does that make sense? All right, then let's get into it. Uh, First one we're going to look at is the relational pathway. This is uh, for those who connect to God most when you're with others. This might be your pathway. Uh, I've done a couple of assessments on spiritual pathways. This is my highest relational pathway. So you are most alive when you are with others connecting, not just hanging, connecting. And what ends up happening, if this is your pathway, is you find yourselves talking about more significant and meaningful things, if not spiritual things and things of God. It doesn't take you long to talk for a long time and to connect at a deep level. This might be your pathway. My friend Dave Van Dixhorn, this is his pathway. He just loves to, if he could get paid to sit across a coffee table from people and just talk all day about life and God, he would do it. He would take that job. He would do it for free. And that might be your pathway. The other night, Thursday night, I had an opportunity to meet with a, a guy that was a friend of a friend. And we'd kind of known about each other for a while. We hadn't had a chance to meet. And my hunch is this is his pathway because when we got together at dinner, there was 10 other people at the table. He and I just could not stop connecting and talking. I mean, it was almost to the point of being rude because there was just such a deep connection. And I'm telling you, as I'm talking with him and spending time with him and like, you know, bro hugging four or five times before we go, I'm going... <laughs> I'm, I feel so alive in my soul right now and so close to you, God. And within a matter of two hours, we were already at deep level stuff. And if that's kind of the way that you connect with people and that's when you come alive, you probably have the relational pathway. Next pathway, the intellectual pathway. As you saw in the videos, we walked through a little bit ago all the different pathways represented in our church. The intellectual pathway connects best to God when you're learning. It's clearly my friend Doug. It says, as long as I've known him. I mean, this just to, to be able to absorb and consume thoughts and ideas and to, I mean, th- if this is your pathway, like when you go to read the Bible, there are multiple highlighters, colored pencils. Like you just love to just dive it in. There's symbols and circles and underlining that goes on because you just love like new thoughts, new ideas and connecting thoughts and ideas. And as you do that, you feel yourself and your understanding of God growing inside of you. My hunch is if this is your pathway, there's a pile of books by your bedside. And it's not just that you like reading things or being smart. You like understanding more and more of who God is. Because the more and more you learn about God, the more and more you feel like you know him. 
And that might be your pathway. My hunch is the Apostle Paul, this was his pathway to watch. We're going to read a passage of his in a second. Him connect these different thoughts and to be able to pull them together in beautiful and profound ways. My hunch is that is where his soul might have been most alive in God as he just reflected and meditated on the richness and fullness of who God is. Next pathway is the worship pathway. I connect best to God when I am singing and praising God. That might be your pathway. This is my friend Angie Wesley's pathway. I mean, she just, that, this is what she just loves to do. She is alive and full and free when she's able to express her heart to God through singing, through song. My hunches, my senses that this was the pathway of King David. As you see again and again throughout the Psalms, him pouring out his heart. This is how he connected to God, by writing songs and psalms and expressing them musically. That might be your pathway. You know how you might know if this is your pathway? If your alarm is set to go off and wake you up to worship music, and then you go in the shower and sing worship songs, and then you get in the car and listen to worship music on the way to work, and then you hum worship music all day at work, this might be your pathway. Like if you're sitting here and can't wait for me to finish so we can get to the good part, <laughs> this might be your pathway. And it's a beautiful, I think it's, we're going to teach all about worship next week. It's a, it is a uh, way that we connect to God that all of us are called to and invited to, but some of us are most alive when we are singing and praising and pouring out our heart to God. Next pathway, activist. I connect best to God when doing great things with and for God. And you might be wired this way. I think of a couple of different folks around our church. David Harden is definitely one of them who was baptized last weekend. I mean, he just loves doing things with and for God, big things with and for God. You might be wired that way. This is, if you know the story of Nehemiah, which we've taught about here at Soul City, Nehemiah is an activist pathway through and through. It's like, okay, let's huddle up. God, we good? Okay, let's go do this. And they, you can see an activist a mile away because they just are so excited and so alive when they get to be a part of moving things forward in big ways for the kingdom of God. And they are so alive when they're doing it and involving other people with it. They know that there's a danger that my being doesn't just constitute my doing for God. Those who have the activist pathway have already worked through that and go, no, 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 no. When I do things with and for God, I have never feel more closer to God. And it's just your soul comes alive when you get to be a part of of those kinds of things. The activist pathway folks are the ones who are leading the charge at our church at Brown Elementary. I mean, you're, you're the ones who are there and creating, I mean, I love the fact that throughout the school year, we have had Soul City folks on campus at Brown every single day of the week in our reading programs and art programs and cleaning out classrooms. And it's usually those who have the activist pathway. They're just smiling the whole time. doesn't matter what the work is. They are just thrilled and alive to be with God doing work for God. That's the activist pathway. Next one, a little bit kind of different on the spectrum, would be the contemplative pathway. I connect best to God in stillness and silence. And this may be how you're wired. You, you just crave some time away to be still, to be with God. You most hear God when you're able to listen to your life and invite God in, reflect. My wife, Jeannie, does, this is uh, I, one of her strongest pathways, and she writes into her schedule solitude days where she just gets away. There's a ton of work to be done here, but she knows that if she doesn't do that work with God, none of this work will matter. And so she gets away and is still and comes back filled up and has led our family and our church through different fasts and different ways of praying and connecting to God. And that place of being still and quiet 
before God is so incredibly important to you. And it's very important for those of you who have this pathway to figure out how to do that in the context of a very noisy and busy city. That's why I love our prayer hall. You know, it's the only space in this whole church that doesn't get used for multiple purposes. Every other room in this space, we've done weddings and art shows and kids' things and all kinds of things. The prayer hall remains a sacred, quiet space because we know how critical that is in the city. And if you have the, the contemplative pathway, that's your kind of space. Just get me alone. Get me with God. Where's the nearest kind of monastery? Where's the nearest place where I can check in and get away so I can be with God? We see Jesus model this again and again and again throughout the scriptures. It says that when ministry was at its fullest and its highest and most intense, he would pull away to be still and alone with God. Often early, four or five o'clock in the morning, he would pull away to be alone and still with God. Next pathway, serving. Serving pathway. I connect best to God while completing kingdom tasks for others behind the scenes. So where the activist loves to do big things for God, those with a serving pathway love to do small things. Lots of small things behind the scenes. Connecting the dots, finding needs and meeting them. I think my friend Chris, who is volunteer staff at our church here, does such an amazing job at creating space every weekend here for our gatherings. And Chris and I will connect throughout the week and I'll say, hey, you know, how about this? And can we work on this? He's like, oh, I already did it. I already found it. I already rewired all of this and I redid this. And I, like, that's amazing. That's amazing. He has such a heart of a servant and loves being able to serve God in that way by being behind the scenes, finding lots of small little ways to make connections and to move things forward through serving. And when that's you and you're in that place, you don't need applause You don't need recognition. In fact, you shy away from it. What you love is seeing someone grow. What you love is being a part of connecting someone to a very real need and a very real solution. What you love is coming around, getting behind someone, and helping them become more of who God created them to be. That's the serving pathway. Beautiful, beautiful pathway. Last one is the creation pathway. I connect best to God in nature. As you saw Joel, who's a part of our band and does so many different things around here, that's his pathway. You just, for you, if this is your pathway, it's like you, you, you just need to get out of this space. You need to get outside, and all you need is a beautiful sunset, and you are just aware of the glory and goodness of God. All you need is a sea of stars at night, and you go, oh, yes, God, you are so big. I am so small. My heart is so full. If that's you, that's your pathway, you have to work extra hard in our city to find that space. But you find it. You know exactly where to go. You know the nearest forest preserve. You know the nearest little park where you can go and be still and be surrounded by God's creation because you feel so alive when you see God's creativity and creation alive around you. You know, you know who you are. And you crave that time and that space to be able to be out there connecting with God, wherever that may be. These are just a few of the spiritual pathways. Again, it's not a conclusive list, but my hunch is maybe as we've been talking here and God has been present in the space, a light might have gone on for you to go, oh yeah, I, I always feel more alive, more connected. When I come out of doing that or being a part of that, I feel so full. And maybe, just maybe, you didn't know that it counts as prayer. In fact, maybe, maybe you didn't know that's actually one of the truest ways that you can pray is to uniquely connect to God out of how he has uniquely created you. We'll put him back on the screen. You can see him. Relational, intellectual, worship, activist, contemplative, serving, 
creation. What we love to do is, you know, we believe in homework around here at this church, or at least it's how God grows us, doing sort of the work outside of this space. And so what we've done, our team has put together a little online assessment for you to understand your pathway. And so there's a a website we created called uh, soulcitypathways.com. And on there is an assessment where you can kind of go through and answer, it takes about five, six minutes. And at the end, it tabulates all your scores. There's no math involved. And then at the end, you can kind of have a better sense of like, okay, I think this is actually, yeah, this is what I felt in the service and this kind of verifies it. Or, oh, I didn't really understand that and this makes it more. So really what we've done in our time is here is just sort of teed off the idea that maybe, just maybe, there's a new way of connecting with God. It's through Jesus Christ and it's found when you uniquely connect to God out of who he's uniquely created you to be. And our hope is that you would go before the end of the day today, fill out this assessment, and that you would spend this week practicing that pathway as best you can. That you would spend this week living in the freedom that comes from living in the flow of a relationship with God. Where you don't have to uh, try harder, but as John Ortberg says, you, you try softer. You live more out of who God has created you to be. And you find yourself connecting with Him in much, much deeper ways. Could it be that God has created you for more than the old way of praying? But that through His Son, Jesus, He has given us a new way to connect with Him, to live life in the flow, and to experience the freedom that comes with that. I mentioned Paul earlier. He writes in Galatians 5, 1, these words that, might serve as a send-off for us into the work God wants to do in our lives this week. He wrote, look, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's not for the old way. It's for the freedom of this new way through Jesus. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So look, stand firm then. Don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery or the burden or the strapping down, the weighing down of the old way. That's what the word slavery means there. That old way of relating to God. No, it is for freedom that you've been created. And so our hope and our desire, our dream for you is that you would be more alive with God this week than you have in many, many, many weeks. And that you would come back and we would come back into this space or into our small groups out the course this week so alive and full of the presence of God and living in the flow that it just overflows out of our lives. And when that happens, my goodness, we see the gates of hell pushed back. We see people living in freedom. We see people walking away from shame and guilt. We see people finding Jesus through our lives, our joy, our presence with God. And so what we would love to do is just to take a moment to be reminded of how precious that freedom is and the way that that new way was brought to us. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few moments celebrating something that we celebrate regularly around here at Soul City Church, communion. And I think it's another perfect and beautiful metaphor that Jesus has given us to illustrate to us this new way. He, he took elements and ideas from the old way. He, he took elements from the Passover celebration, which is one of those rituals and celebrations that fell on the calendar the same year. He took those elements and said, look, there's a new way. I, I'm the bread. I'm what, it's my body broken for you. And it's not just the old blood from a lamb that you put over a doorframe. No, it's my blood that's going to be shed for you. 
She said, this is how real and powerful this new way is. That the freedom that we've been so richly blessed with, that we've been invited to live in, came at a cost, a very real cost, that Jesus freely paid for you and for me so that we could know God, not just know more about Him, but know Him and live our lives in the flow with Him. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. And we want to encourage you to use this space as a time for you to reflect, to remember, to confess, to celebrate, to come to the table with a sincere heart and to receive the life that Jesus has for you and maybe walk away from the table with a new way of relating to God. And this is what I love about our church. Uh, several of you have asked, and so we've responded. Uh, over here to your left, we have gluten-free communion bread. How about that? Because the last thing you want is to take the body of Christ and have allergic reactions. So we have created space for those of you who are gluten-free. I love it. I love that you said this is important. I don't want to miss this sacrament. I don't want to miss this moment. So if that's you, you can come right over here and do that. Uh, but I think this is an opportunity invitation for all of us to center our hearts around and open our minds to the idea that there might be a new way that is more free and life-giving and truer to who God created us to be, made available and possible to us by the bread, the body, and the cup, the blood of Jesus. So will you pray with me right now as we enter into communion together? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you did not create us for religion. We thank you that for a time that served a purpose, but ultimately it was to make a point that there is a new way made available in and through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you did not just create us to live in proximity to you, but in relationship with you, to not just know about you, but to know you. And God, I pray, I pray that freedom would reign in this place. I pray, God, that it would replace our fear, our frustration when it comes to connecting with you that we would open up our, our, our lives, open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our minds to the possibility that we can connect with you at any moment, at every moment, all throughout the day, all throughout our lives, and that you have already drawn near to us. You've already made the first move. And so we do everything we can to draw near to you. Thank you that you receive us. We cannot possibly clean or cleanse our hearts on our own, but you are the one who forgives us and makes us clean and makes us whole and makes us new. Thank you that we get to come into your presence right now. And so that is exactly what we do is we remember you, Jesus, and we thank you and become acutely aware of how real the price was paid for our freedom. So Jesus, we thank you for your body and for your blood. In your name, amen.